Many of us woke up this morning and we found ourselves elated and excited. Some of us woke up this morning and found ourselves concerned, but my prayer is that as the people of God this morning, we would find ourselves steady. Because while the White House is getting ready to enter into a season of transition, one thing remains true, Jesus is not transitioning from his throne. He remains a sovereign king of this universe, and we, as the people of God, can stand steady on that truth. So it's with that in mind that my hope is that we would be ready today to receive what the Lord would have for us from his word, and that it would transform us to be more like the Son, to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God in this world, to be representatives of the love and the mercy and the grace and the goodness and the justice of our God. So as we get ready to start our time this morning, I'd love to pray for us, pray that the Lord would meet us right where we are today, and that we would be prepared in both heart and mind to receive, thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace this morning. Father, we are in desperate need of you more than, more than ever before. Lord, we, your people, gather this morning in need of a word from you, in need of your presence, in need of your grace, in need of your mercy, in need of your love. Father, our country is in need of you right now. There really is never a season where it is not. And so, Father, we just recognize what is always true, and that is we, we, we need you. And so, Father, would you meet with us today? Would you be with your people? Would you, would you be with our country? Would you be with the elected officials of our nation, Father, to do the work of your will, to be about your goodness in this world and nothing else. Lord, no matter where we find ourselves this morning, we declare that we trust you. We trust you with all things and in all things. Help us to believe where our hearts do not today. Help us to receive where we find it difficult to do so. Help us to be kingdom people above all else. We pray for all of these things in your good, mighty, matchless, and marvelous name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, good morning, church family. As usual, it is indeed an honor and a privilege to be gathered with the saints of God in order to worship the God of the saints. My name is Andre. Most folks call me Dre, and I am one of the pastors here at the Austin Stone. Uh, more specifically, I have the distinct pleasure of leading our South Congregation. Shout out to my Southside family. Today marks our third week jumping back into our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, Pastor Ross did an incredible job 
closing out chapter 15 as he walked us through Jesus's miraculous and compassion-filled feeding of the 4,000. As we learned about Jesus's deep care for not just some people or some segments of society, but for all kinds of people from all walks of life and backgrounds and his desire for his disciples to be more like him by doing the same. And it is with that in mind this morning that we'll be kicking off our time in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12, if you'd like to turn there with me. Matthew 16, uh, verses 1 through 12. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be a stormy day, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They began discussing among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, if you remember at the conclusion of chapter 15, after Jesus finished feeding the crowd in the Gentile Decapolis region, he started to make his way back into the primarily Jewish populated region of Magadan, which most believe to be the same area where Mary Magdalene was from. If you were to picture the Sea of Galilee, the Decapolis region would be found somewhere on the southeastern or bottom right side of the sea. And the Magadan on the northwestern or top left side of the sea. So in a general sense, when Jesus is on the west side of the sea, he is more than likely in primarily Jewish populated territory. And when he is on the east side of the sea, he's in primarily Gentile populated territory. And with that in mind, our passage this morning opens with Jesus and his disciples having journeyed back into what is a primarily Jewish side of town. And who is it that we find awaiting for him upon his arrival? Well, none other than Jesus' biggest fan club made up of the religious leaders of the day, otherwise known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, if you know anything about these 
two groups, then you know they have very little in common outside of their ethnic identity. The Pharisees were a large religious sect who strictly followed the law and the customs of the elders, while the Sadducees were a smaller political aristocracy of sorts who rejected the elders' customs and uh, regularly collaborated with their own oppressors in the Roman Empire. These two groups could not have been more different from one another in both their beliefs and practices. Yet for some odd reason, we find them here presented as being in a unified front. And the question we should all be asking at this point is why? Why would these bitter rivals find themselves in committed partnership all of a sudden? What is it that is bringing these uh, two groups together? Well, the answer can be found in what eventually became a common perceived threat and a common desired goal for these religious leaders. While they may have been strongly divided in many of their beliefs, they were even more unified in their hatred for and opposition to Jesus of Nazareth. To say that they didn't like him would be an understatement and they were desperate to stop him and the perceived threat that he posed to their leadership and power by any means necessary. As we consider the events that are taking place in this passage, I would like to invite us to spend our time this morning focused on two simple but very powerful points from our text. First, Jesus' warning, and secondly, Jesus' invitation. Two points, and I'll be out of your way this morning. Jesus' warning in Jesus' invitation. Allow me to direct our attention to the latter half of our passage first as we consider the idea of Jesus' warning. Matthew 16, 5 through 12, I would love to read it for us once more. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They began discussing among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So as he's known for doing from time to time, Jesus just had a drop the mic kind of a moment in the verses prior. And he leaves the Pharisees and Sadducees to think through what he just told them in response to a fairly outlandish request that they make of him. The text tells us that he and the disciples make their way to the other side of the shore. 
And Jesus takes this opportunity to debrief with his disciples about what had just happened. Now, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm not so sure that these are the kind of guys that I'd want to ever take a road trip with because somehow they continue to find a way to forget the most important ingredient for a road trip and that's food. I mean, there are quite a few things you can afford to forget before taking a road trip and snacks just ain't one of them. But in typical disciple-like fashion, we see that they managed to forget to bring this all too important necessity yet again. Jesus uses this moment provided by a lack of bread to sound the alarm as he warns his disciples to beware of leaven. More specifically, to beware of what he describes as the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. However, the point that Jesus is trying to make here flies right over the disciples' heads and they completely miss it. Focused on their empty stomachs and repeat mistakes, their failure to recognize who it is that was among them was exposed. This was the same Jesus that they had just witnessed miraculously feed two crowds of 4,000 plus people with nothing more than a lunchable sized portion of bread and fish. Certainly he was more than capable of making something out of nothing to provide the sustenance needed to feed 12 hungry men. But nevertheless, the disciples find themselves consumed with worry about what they lacked while in the presence of Jehovah Jireh himself. The son of God who was able to provide in abundance for all their needs was among them and their initial thoughts were focused on what they didn't have rather than what Jesus was trying to give them. They still did not recognize who he was and Jesus' deep concern for their greater spiritual need was overshadowed by their concern for their temporal and carnal lack. And friends, I can't help but to consider this morning how much we tend to mirror the disciples in our own lives. Consumed with worry over our lack of bread while the bread of life is with us, ready to give us everything we actually need and more. Too often we allow the fog of worry to cloud our vision for who he has shown himself to be in our lives. He feeds the hungry belly of the multitudes, heals the ailments of the sick, sets free those who are in bondage, liberates the poor and the marginalized, and he saves the wretched sinner by his blood. There is no need you have that he is unable to meet, no thirst that he cannot quench, no hunger that he cannot satisfy, no lack that he cannot fill. So fear not, my brothers and sisters, for the Lord your God is with you ready and able to provide for all that you might need today. 
You see, this is what the disciples missed. And Jesus reprimands them for their lack of faith that caused them to severely misunderstand what it was that he was trying to teach them. His warning wasn't about the physical bread they lacked, but the spiritual bread they were in danger of consuming. One would cause them hunger pains and the other destruction for all eternity. They were in real danger and Jesus wanted them to be awakened to that reality. He warns them again and this time, the disciples come to understand that he was comparing leaven to what was the false teaching of these religious leaders. Now leaven for those of us that may not be familiar with what it is or what it does is it's yeast that's typically used in dough in order to make bread. A small amount of it when left to do its work can change the complete composition of where and what it is growing. It's this substance that's used to make bread rise and create the wonderful fluffiness that we all know and love. Leaven is a fascinating and powerful tool in that very little of it is needed to have a transformative effect on the whole of what it is connected to. And Jesus says that the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees are similar to leaven in its makeup. And he warns his disciples to be weary as leaven is being used as a negative metaphor to highlight the evil, corrupt, and destructive influence that their false teaching could have on the truth of Jesus's message in their life. You see, this warning was far less like trying to indicate that there's two minutes left in a football game and much more like an attempt to indicate the dangers of poison. Jesus tells his disciples to be on alert because what they were being exposed to was dangerously powerful and the last thing that he wants is for his disciples, including you and I today, to be led astray by false teaching because Jesus knows that false teaching does nothing other than distract, it corrupts, and it ultimately leads to destruction. False teaching distracts, it corrupts, and my friends, it ultimately leads to destruction in our lives. You see, false teaching does nothing but threaten to lure us away from the beauty of God's truth and entice us with the lies of demons. It is, consist it is constantly pulling our attention away from the center of truth, namely Jesus, and distracting us with the sweet sounding myths of the enemy that have nothing of substance to offer us in the end. This is the work of the leaven of false teaching. And my prayer this morning is that we would take Jesus's warning seriously. That we would take his warning seriously and give no attention to anything 
other than the truth of his word. You see, there's no good that can come from the false doctrine, uh, from, from these false doctrines, and these religious leaders were proponents of all sorts of them. These are the same religious leaders that were known for sort of leaning into this idea of ethnocentrism, idolizing their ethnic identity, and ultimately failing to recognize God's plan to use them as a catalyst to bring about salvation for all people. Here we have the Jewish people who were privileged to be chosen by God to be the conduits through which the savior of the whole world would arrive on the scene to call all men unto himself and they find a way to center their ethnic identity over the ultimate redemptive plan of God because they believed the lie that they were better than the rest of the people that God had created in his own image. These were the same religious leaders who would take the law of God and add their own uh, uh, positions to it and their own practices to it and their own rules upon it in an effort to sort of uh, loathe it over those that they were leading and they were supposed to be guiding, falling into this very deadly trap of legalism, failing to recognize that the law was not meant to be something that we were able to sort of uh, do within our own strength, but it was meant to be a mirror to showcase to us how deep of sinners we are and how desperate in need of a savior we are at the same time. These same religious leaders wanted a Messiah who would come and conquer Rome and put Israel in power and give Israel prosperity so they rejected the Messiah who came to die. You see, these false teachings were a danger to the disciples. And the truth that they found in Jesus and these false teachings have also unfortunately plagued American Christians, and subsequently the American church collectively. Friends and family, we are not much different than the disciples in that we are in the same sort of danger, that we are in need of the same sort of warning, and that these similar false teachings have found their ways in our pews and churches and pulpits, and we are in need of warning from our Savior this morning. For far too long, the American church and American Christians have bought into the false teaching of racism, teaching that fellow image bearers are less than and subsequently denying them equality and love. We have for far too long given into the false teaching of legalism this idea that we need to add things to the Bible and require people to follow them in order to meet some sort of religious approval by their fellow leaders and God, all the while missing that Jesus has always been and will always be enough. 
For far too long, we have given into the false teaching of the prosperity gospel that teaches that somehow what God wants ultimately for us is this sort of health and wealth and rich and successful life, all the while meeting the call for us to be prepared to be sojourners and exiles, people who are guaranteed suffering for the name of Jesus. And for far For far too long, the American church and American Christians have given into the false teaching of religious political syncretism as they mix their religious and political convictions and believe that one has to believe exactly as they do politically in order to be a good Christian. That somehow the measure of faithfulness in the Christian life can be seen through the way in which one casts their ballot. And that could be nothing but further from the truth of the scriptures. Faithfulness is found in those of us that are found in Jesus and nothing else. And Jesus wants us to hear this morning that we need to beware of these false teachings. They are dangerous and they will lead us away from genuine relationship with him. And many of us, many of us will be tempted to believe that this is a warning for uh, them over there, those people that give into those things over there. But, but, but friends, can, can I invite you that, that this warning is an apt one for you and I right where we are today. that if you are tempted to think that Jesus is talking to somebody across the room, I would invite you to recognize that he is looking at you in your eyes as one of his disciples and saying, beware. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of false teaching. Beware of the places where we reject the truth of the gospel for other ideologies and false teachings. And church family, the way that we do that is by being people who are devoted to God's truth in his word. We do that by remaining in in, in biblical Christian community that can hold us accountable and help us gain a deeper understanding of his word. It is impossible, it is impossible to really be weary of the warnings that Jesus is giving us if we neglect his word and if we neglect community. We must be diligent to remain rooted in the word of God and the community of God so that we can walk in this warning that Jesus is giving us, wholly embracing the truth of the scriptures and rejecting the teachings that seek to corrupt it. See, false teaching, it's like an infection that brings disease on an otherwise healthy Christian and healthy church, and we have need to be weary of that reality this morning. But not only does Jesus warn 
his disciples to be weary of false teaching. Not only is Jesus warning us this morning to be weary of the false teaching that can draw us away from him, but Jesus also lends to us invitation. Jesus invites us into truth as he warns us away from lies. If you've been with us for any amount of time in the book of Matthew, you know that the religious leaders are always trying to trip Jesus up. They never seem to learn their lesson. Here they are at it again, wanting some definitive proof that Jesus really is sent by God. They want a sign. Matthew 16 verses one through four says the Pharisees and Sadducees came. To test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the, of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. The Pharisees and the Sadducees say that they want to see a sign from heaven in order to know for sure that Jesus is in fact sent from God. Here they are basically implying that, yes, we've seen a lot of signs from you, Jesus, but, but we want to see a, a major sign, a, a real sign, a, a sign from heaven, if you will. Some believe that when they say a sign from heaven, they, they actually mean a sign in the sky, something everyone can see. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus has already proved himself as the Messiah in numerous ways. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees don't see it because they have been blinded and uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, been, been drawn away from and have been hardened in heart to receive the truth that Jesus has been trying to give them all along. They don't see it even though they should. And like the Pharisees, many of us tend to ignore the works of Jesus in our lives and tend to miss the ways in which he is working and showing himself to be just who he says that he is in our life. Jesus says you can look at the sky and easily interpret what is happening in the natural world. A red sky in the evening means weather tomorrow and a red sky in the morning means rough weather today. The religious leaders could interpret the signs of the natural world, but they were missing the supernatural signs that were right in front of them. For some odd reason, they couldn't read the signs of the times. Remember when the disciples of John the baptizer came to ask if Jesus was the Messiah, what did Jesus respond with? He said, look at the evidence. People are being healed, miracles are happening. God is at work before your very eyes. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he is saying to us today, the evidence is right before you. I am the way the truth and the life. I am the Messiah that you seek. I am the healer of all people. I am the redeemer of the world. I am the one. 
And even though these men find themselves demanding for another sign, Jesus says that he will not cater to what he describes as their evil and adulterous generation who demands a sign on the terms which suits their evil skeptic hearts. And an easy biblical demand that we can gather from this text this morning, church family, is to not be like the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of the signs that Jesus has provided for us. Beware of what God is showing us in his scriptures, what he has shown us throughout redemptive history and what he is showing through the natural world and what he is ultimately showing as he works supernaturally in our individual lives each and every day. Be aware of the signs. See Jesus at work. Know that he is indeed Messiah. Know that he is God. Jesus says that he will provide the one and only sign that is needed to these religious leaders. He says, you want a sign? I will give you a sign. And the sign that I will give you is the sign of Jonah. Jesus is saying here that like Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days, Jesus will also find himself in the belly of the earth for three days. And as Jonah came back to the earth from the fish, Jesus would in fact come back to life, back to earth through the glorious and miraculous resurrection. As an entire city was able to repent of their sins following Jonah's preaching the entire world would have access to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ following Jesus's ascension into heaven and the founding of the church of Jesus Christ powered by God's Holy Spirit. This is the sign that Jesus said he would provide and this is in fact the sign that Jesus has provided. He did die on that cross in fact. He was buried in Joseph's borrowed tomb. And on that third day, as promised, Jesus rose from the grave and lives forever in eternal glory and power and sovereign rule. This is the God that we serve. This is the sign that he has given us. You need no sign but the resurrection to know that Jesus is inviting you into the truth of who he is and what it is that he has for your life today. Yet many, like the Jewish religious leaders, would still, will still not believe the sign that Jesus has given in the ultimate death and resurrection of his life. These leaders didn't see the signs and many of us this morning are failing to see the sign as well. And the word that Jesus has for us this morning is to beware, my friends, to open your eyes and your hearts and your minds to perceive and to discern the sign that Jesus has given us, the sign of the resurrection, the sign that he is the Messiah. He is the one that provides everything that you ask for and need this morning. Jesus' invitation is to see him at work. Jesus' invitation is to trust him, to believe in him, 
and to follow him this morning. Church family, we, we see here that Jesus warns, Jesus invites, and let's take heed of his warning and look for the false teachings that are currently absorbing our thinking and our hearts. Let us be a people that are always on alert from the lies of the enemy, wholly dedicated to the fidelity of the scriptures and the truth of our God. Let us receive the invitation to faith and belief and a life of following the one who walked out of the grave on that third day and is ready and able to be all that we need him to be in our lives this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to warn us, to warn us of the dangers that are always looming and impending, to warn us to be weary of the things that seek to destroy us, that seek to corrupt us, that seek to distract us from you. But Jesus, not only do you warn us to be on alert and to be weary and to be steadfast, but Lord, you are always extending your hand of grace and invitation towards your people, towards your enemies even, inviting us into the truth and the greater reality of who you are inviting us to be receivers of your truth, inviting us to be receivers of your grace, inviting us to be receivers of your love, inviting us to be receivers of you. Father, many of us far too often take our eyes off of you and find our eyes fixed on the lies that the enemy throws at us left and right. These false teachings that continue to make their way to the surface and we continue to grab on and take hold of these lies. So Jesus, we need you this morning. Lord, we need you to, to continue to warn us Father, we need you to continue to sound the alarm. Father, we need you to continue to invite us into the truth of your resurrection. Would you do that today? Lord, would you open blind eyes this morning? Father, would you realign the hearts of your people? call back to the fold those who have wandered off. Father, would you be our steady hand? 
our everlasting peace, our all in all, the sufficient one, whose grace is ever present and ready to meet us right where we are. Lord, we trust you for that this morning. We need you for that this morning. And we pray to you for that this morning in the mighty, matchless, and wonderful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.